0: If you have a Bible, you can open to Ephesians. Uh, We'll look at Ephesians for one last time. This is our last time in the the book. We'll look at chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 this morning. And we're going to talk about the devil. And uh, not just about the devil, but about the gospel as it uh, concerns the devil and his schemes. It might seem strange to you to finish this letter um, for Paul to finish the letter to the Ephesians with uh, talk about the devil, but it's not disjointed. Everything in Ephesians is really well tied together. Um, it, it really does make sense. The whole whole letter goes together in such a way we need, we need to consider spiritual warfare here as, um, as tied directly into the themes of the whole letter to the Ephesians. We need to consider spiritual warfare in the context that we find it. So um, we can't explain everything about the devil. I can't give you a really long justification for why we believe in a personal spiritual being called the devil. I'm not going to give you, uh, kind of by contrast, um, uh, all the wrong ways of thinking about the devil or spiritual warfare or demons, things like that. Uh, we're not going to get into that, but, um, but I think if you're kind of tuned in, this will re- really resonate with you as um, sort of a capstone of... Uh, of the book, of the study, of the series that we've been doing, our unity in Christ, um, really is finished off well here uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray, and then we'll read the Scripture. Father, as we consider your word, we need your help. We need your Spirit. We want Christ to be in front of us in all of his beauty and glory and majesty, And we know that uh, for him to be there means calling us away from many things that pull on our hearts in other directions, any tendencies that we have to try to ignore or deny or downplay uh, your word and the spiritual reality that we live in. We pray that you would overcome all these things, remove the obstacles in our hearts, um, open our eyes and open our ears so that we would be able to perceive you in your word and all your glory and love and truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians is Paul's uh, theological treatise on the Trinity, on salvation, on the church, and it's about the most important things in the universe. Uh, He grounds our love for one another in the deepest underpinnings of all being, the community and operations of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The three persons of the triune God are in every passage as our foundation for our life together. Salvation means being restored to Relationship with this God and knowing this God means transformation in our daily relationships. Uh, It's a letter about unity on a fairly mundane level. Yet we discover that this unity has cosmic significance. Unity in Christ is the point of all reality. The devil is against our unity. Throughout the scriptures, he seeks to drive a wedge between God and his people. In order to dismantle the community that God is working to build, the devil looks to tear down God's reputation in our sight. So the word devil, uh, the Greek word there, diabolos, means slanderer or liar. You might think it means enemy or accuser. Those are other words that um, describe the devil and his work, but it, it means slanderer or liar. And when he comes after us to destroy us, he aims at obscuring Or slandering the truth of who God is. As the serpent in the garden, he could have harmed the woman physically but that wouldn't have been nearly as destructive as tearing her apart from God relationally. In accomplishing that, he would also ruin her relationship with the man. The devil's real goal is division. He hates true community. He hates intimacy. And he wins when he gets us to join his side in his war against God, when his propaganda convinces us that God should be distrusted. So, if we're disconnected from the heart of love that stands at the center of the cosmos, then everything else falls apart. Everything falls apart to the devil's delight. So, by nature, now, as sinners, we're his allies, or rather, his children. Or rather, his slaves. Um, David Powlison says in his book, Power Encounters, that Satan establishes his moral lordship, his control over us, the dominion of darkness. He establishes his moral lordship mainly through lies. The only way that the devil can really hurt us, drive a wedge between us and God, and bring serious division among us, is by painting a false image. A false image of God for us. He's against our knowing God as he truly is. So the devil wants you to believe that God is out to get you, for example, that he is a cruel, sadistic, oppressive tyrant, which means that you should be suspicious of his authority and you should run hard, right? Pursue autonomy. Take matters into your own hands, Live like a good resistance fighter, a rebel. The devil wants you to believe that God has abandoned you, that even if he does exist, he's withdrawn, he's distant, he's uncaring. So you should resent him like a disowned child and live however you want. The devil wants you to believe that God is just so boring A complete killjoy. So, if it's pleasure you're after, if it's delight you're after, you really should look elsewhere because you're not going to find it in Him. The devil wants you to believe that God is like a disappointed boss. You can keep your position around here, maybe, if you just try a little harder. The devil wants you to believe that God is sappy sweet, He's so affirming that he'll let you get away with anything. It really isn't that big of a deal when you sin. And then, when you do sin, the devil wallops you (laughs) with a fearful image of God as so strict, so unforgiving, that you, being entirely unworthy, could never hope to find acceptance with him. So you'd better hide from God. In fact, you should hide your true self from everybody, including yourself, That's what's best. The devil wants you to believe that God is not for you. He wants you to believe that God is not for you. So you'll need to be entirely for yourself. You've got to look out for number one. The devil wants you to believe that repentance is out of reach. It's actually unhealthy for you to do such things as deny yourself. Right, Deny your desires. Deny who you are. That's unhealthy. Living for the kingdom will just suck the life right out of you. You should, should follow your passions. You should be true to yourself. The last thing the devil wants is for you to confess your sin to God and to each other. Because he knows that God is merciful and he doesn't want you to discover his, his forgiveness and his acceptance and his love. The devil doesn't want us to stay together here in the church. He doesn't want us to stay together in our family relationships. He doesn't want us to stay together and love one another. He wants us to be suspicious of each other, to find reasons to distance ourselves from each other. He delights in estrangement and divorce. He achieves his goals when he cuts our tether to the God of love. So when we walk away from each other, he rubs his hands together and he dances when we walk away from each other. Ultimately, the devil wants you to believe that you cannot truly know God. Sure, maybe God sent his representative to be the face of the divine, but you can't actually be sure what God is really like behind the name, behind the mask. His craftiest lies are to separate Jesus and God in our understanding his craftiest lies are to take the deep and wonderful doctrine of the trinity and spin it in order to remove god into the impenetrable mists of unknowability but the devil's got this weakness and it's the truth one little word shall fell him as we sang he would paint us a false image of god which means all we need to do is fall back on the truth in our wrestling with the devil, we're locked in mortal, desperate, hand-to-hand combat with an enemy who's far greater than, than we could possibly handle on our own. That's what that word means when it says we, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle against these powers and rulers and authorities. Wrestling, that's, that's pretty close combat. That's pretty last-ditch. That's pretty desperate, right? And we're in that kind of combat with somebody who's far greater than us, but we're not on our own. God is for us. God is with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. So in in Ephesians, Paul is solving the problem that we see introduced in Genesis 3, right? Paul's solving for Genesis 3 when he shows us how to stand against the devil and against his schemes. The devil has us in his grip when he convinces us of his lies about God. We're his willing accomplices against the truth and against the love of God. But God promised to put enmity between us and our evil ally. God had to insert that enmity, and he promised to do it, to crush the devil's power through the seed of the woman. Because God is who he is, because he really is who he says he is, he's faithful and true to his word. He sent his own son to be born of a woman, to be born of the Virgin Mary. And we were under the devil's thrall, but grace and truth came into the world through Jesus Christ, as it says in John 1. He took our human nature. He gathered us to himself through his incarnation, And through his baptism, through which he pledged solidarity to us to rescue us from the evil one. He stood fast as our champion against all the deceits, temptations, and accusations of the devil. He wore God's own armor. That's what it says when it says, put on the armor of God. It's the armor God wears. It's God's own armor. Over and over again, it says that in Isaiah. That as our Messiah, as our champion, he wore God's own armor because he is God. And he won the day, which meant our reunion with God and ultimately cosmic unity in Christ. Now, in spite of the devil's best efforts, there's this thing called the church. In spite of his best efforts, there's the church. Community and intimacy and love are at work in the world. Now we know the truth. Because of Christ, we know what God is really like. It's exactly what the devil can't stand. We know what God is really like because of Christ. Jesus Christ is God's true word. He's uh, God's good word. He's the knowability of God himself. He is God's knowability. Right? He said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Whoever's seen me has seen the father. I'm in the father and the father's in me. John 14. So that this is... The doctrine of the Trinity means that God is preeminent, preeminently knowable. In himself, he is the knower, and he's the known one in glorious mutual knowledge. That is who God is. And we know him now to be good and reliable and wonderful and delightful, gracious, forgiving, and loving even to his enemies. Even to his enemies, Right? As Romans 5, Paul says, While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. The one true God, the God who is love, was willing even to sacrifice his own son to repair the breach that we caused when we sided with the devil against him. The devil can lie about it, but he can't change the reality of God's love for you. He can lie about it, but he can't change reality. We believed his lie. We withdrew from God when there was no good reason to do so. But the truth of the gospel is that God drew near to us even when he had every good reason not to do so. God drew near to us when there was no good reason for him to do it. Richard Sibbs was a 17th century English Puritan. He said, Christ, being our friend, it is no matter who is our enemy. He is our friend. So it doesn't matter even if the devil is our enemy. So we know how to prepare for battle. And this is all preparatory language, right? Uh, there's, there's when you face the devil, having already put on this armor, not, hey, wait, stop, uh, give me a second, I know we're on the battlefield, but I forgot my sword. Oh, wait, <laughs> too late. Right. Um, don't be caught off guard finding yourself in a fight with the, with the devil without God's own armor. The armor that he wore in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It might sound strange being strong in another person's strength, right? Not in your own strength, but in another person's strength. But it's the way God means for us to live in Christ, vicariously, in Jesus Christ. We look to the Lord Jesus as our champion, the one who went to war and did what we couldn't do for us on our behalf. And we live in his victory over the devil vicariously through faith. We can't handle cosmic powers of evil on our own, but we're not on our own. We are in Jesus Christ. We're in Jesus Christ who has already ascended, as Paul said in Ephesians 1. He's already ascended far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. In him we have the belt of truth the belt of truth to protect us from the devil's lies. In Christ, we have the breastplate of God's own righteousness to ward off the devil's accusations that God would never accept us as holy in his sight, as sinners. In Christ, we have as shoes for our feet the readiness that's given to us by the gospel of peace. So let all condemnation cease. Let the guilt have no more claim. Let the devil lose all dominion, as we sang we have peace with God. As we take up the shield of faith through which we're united to Christ, we have a refuge in him. Jesus Christ is our strong tower, our refuge and the righteous run into him. And our life is hidden with him in God, unassailable in heaven. With the helmet of salvation, we keep our heads in battle, our focus deliberately fixed on the triune God of our salvation. And we have the sword of the Spirit, the word of God, which shall fell the slanderer. Now, the result of our salvation isn't so that we may stand individually. All this language, it's not, uh, not second-person singular language. It's, as with the rest of the letter, second-person plural. It's corporate language. The result of our salvation is not so we may stand individually against the devil, but we may stand together with God and with each other in the church. It's this community, after all, that the devil opposes, that he's trying to tear down. Because God has stood in solidarity with us in the person of his Son, we stand in solidarity now with him and with each other. And it's a beautiful expression of humanity in Christ, that solidarity, that it directly reflects the nature of the Trinity, where each person is in, with, and for the other. I think it's remarkable all these calls for solidarity that we've heard over the last couple of weeks in light of the Paris attacks. We're with you, Paris. We stand with you, solidarity. And however you say that in French, right? Uh, it's remarkable that's instinctive for us, to pledge solidarity to sufferers. That's exactly what our salvation is. God has pledged solidarity with us, and now we live in solidarity with each other. And a commitment to solidarity is exactly the thing that the devil hates. We stand in solidarity with each other in the truth of the gospel, and we do that when we pray with each other, we pray for each other. Paul goes on, he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me in in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So, for Paul, the mystery of the gospel, throughout this letter, the mystery of the gospel is, is the revelation that in Christ, God has restored our unity with himself, and he's, he's restoring it with a, within the church with each other, right? It's the truth we must hold on to corporately. It's the truth that the devil wants to rip away from us. It is only as we're gathered around the truth, as we're gathered around the truth of the gospel, as we have it in the word and in the sacraments, gathered by the Spirit in common prayer, It's only then that we may stand together against the devil and his schemes, his methods. So we resist things like exclusivity and elitism in the church. We resist those things. We pursue transparency, vulnerability, true mutual intimacy, We pursue those things. We confess our sins to God, and we confess our sins to each other. We do that on a regular basis as we come to worship, and we help each other to be assured of God's forgiveness and the true reconciliation, the true unity that we have in Christ. We spur one another on to love and good works and gospel proclamation for the sake of the spiritually untethered, so that all may be regrounded in the, in the God of love, in the God of love. And in doing so, we stand, we stand united in Christ, and the devil's lost his game. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it's a glorious vision that you've painted for us through the book of Ephesians, this cosmic unity that we find in Christ, only in Christ. Apart from him, we, we have desperate need for uh, love, to be in relationships of mutual love. We were made for these relationships, and yet apart from uh, faith in Christ, we will never find the fulfillment for which we were made, the fulfillment for which we seek. So we pray that you would truly fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, that we would find our union with you in him, and that we would realize that this union spills over to each other, that we truly have a fellowship here that is at the center of what you're doing throughout history and in the whole universe, what you're doing right here in our community as we don't walk away from each other, as we open up our lives to each other and ask each other for help and extend grace and mercy and forgiveness and help to one another, that these are the most important things in the world, and, and all of it is made possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would make that truth um, deeper and more precious to us, that we would celebrate it in our relationships with you and each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.